0: Hey, everyone. This is Eric here from Personal Profitability, and I had a quick favor to ask you before we get started. Now, this is a pretty new podcast. It's only about three months old, and I'm trying to really grow the audience and help as many people as I can. So if you like what you hear here, if you could just take a few minutes and share it on your favorite social networking site with with some friends or people you think might enjoy it. You now, If you use Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Reddit, Buffer, StumbleUpon, Tumblr, Instapaper... Or if people still use Dig or Delicious, I don't know, I think those went out of style a while back. You could just take a second and give it a share. I would really appreciate it. Thanks and enjoy the episode. This is Peter Anderson from BibleMoneyMatters.com. And now, your host, Eric Rosenberg. He'll balance your checkbook, he'll tell you where to invest, and he'll even DJ your wedding. This is the Personal Profitability
1: Podcast. Welcome to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability. Eric Rosenberg.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg. And I'm so excited to have you back here with us again today. And today we have a very special guest, one of my good friends who I am so excited was able to come in and join us. His name is Jeffrey Troll. Now, Jeffrey has a very interesting online history that I think a lot of you could learn a lot from. That's why he's here with us today. So he started out you know, with a with a regular full-time job, just like most of us have or have had, and then began working on his own side income streams, doing online writing which developed into a pretty big business, so big that he was able to leave his full-time job and work for himself full-time, which he did for quite a while. And then just actually in the last few weeks, he took another full-time job, and went back from being a self-employed online entrepreneur to someone working at a company. So um, you know, that, that's kind of an unusual journey. So Jeffrey is here today to talk to us about it. So say
1: hello, Jeffrey. Hey, Eric. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. It's exciting. <laughs> I think it's probably one of the first few podcasts I've done. So, should cool. be fun. Well, welcome to having your voice on the internet.
0: <laughs> <So, laughs> Looking forward to it. So, everybody, as, as you are aware, if you've been listening for a while, this is your opportunity to hit the pause button and go grab your beer so you can have a beer with us. Because personal finance should be fun and um, you know not some boring mundane thing. So, here's your pause moment. Okay, your pause moment's over. Welcome back. <laughs> so, I hope you have something tasty and good and uh if you're driving a car or at work where it's not allowed, you know, obviously you don't want to drink a beer. So, uh but if if you're sitting at home listening with your headphones or with your whoever you're with, with your friends, with your dogs, I hope you're enjoying something good. I myself am having a beer that was new to me just last week. It's called Hop Smack from Cascade Lakes. It's a local Oregon brewery and I like my IPAs and I like my Oregon beers living here. So uh, so, cheers for a hop smack. What are you having on your end, Jeffrey?
1: I, uh, I also have a beer from Bend, Oregon with me. I have uh, Deschutes Black Butte Porter. Uh, happily comes from the sixth largest craft brewery in the country, which I'm growing even more loyal to recently <laughs> because of the uh, some of the big beer buyouts that have been going on. Uh, so happy to have Deschutes here making great beer in Oregon. Well, here's a virtual clink. Cheers to the cheers and two two Oregon
0: beers that we're enjoying. Yeah. I don't know if people can hear me gulping on the. On the I can. Sound. So I'm
1: assuming everyone else can too.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that's like good radio or bad radio etiquette to hear me swallowing on 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 the internet. <laughs> Sounds pretty authentic, at least. I know it's real. I'm I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. You also hear my squeaky chair probably when I move around. I should work on that. Well anyway, we'll uh we'll jump into the into the good stuff. So, let's start out by just you know getting a little bit about your history and your background. I know you we met through Fincon at the very first Fincon because you had a blog called Money Spruce which yeah. I know you don't do quite as much with today. Can you just tell a little about Money Spruce, how you got started writing online and the journey you've had with that site?
1: Sure. Uh so like maybe many freelancers or people in this area get into personal finance interests and things, I kind of have a, uh, a wacky background. I um, started off as an engineer, actually. I, I have uh, 2 degrees in en- engineering, civil and environmental engineering. Uh, so not really a whole lot of a writing background, just a little bit doing on school newspaper and tutoring and stuff. But uh, I started Money Spruce after I... Uh, I really was a fan of Get Rich Slowly and I was reading a lot of uh, JD's writing and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And I just got kind of bored when I like when I finished grad school, I was bored at night because I didn't, you know, I couldn't be studying all the time. I had a, I was working in AmeriCorps at the time. So my job ended at 5pm. I'm like, geez, what do I do with all this extra time at night? I'm like, well, why don't I start a blog and write about something I'm interested in? So uh, I think I started the bicycle blog actually because I'm really into bicycles for about a month and I was like, well, I don't know what this is really going to turn into and, especially in terms of if I uh, ever hope to make money from it. So I started Money Spruce uh, like a month later. I believe that was back in um, the end of 2010, early 2011. And just kind of turned into my own place to write and have my own um, thoughts out there. And uh, after a little little while, gained some steam. I got you know linked up on some pretty cool sites like Time Moneyland and some others. And uh, a few people started to notice. And I, from there, kind of snowballed into getting offered some freelance writing gigs on the side. So, that was really cool. Great. So, I know
0: in that time somewhere in there, you yeah. moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. And you know, a lot. Of, I have a move story when I moved from Denver to Portland and you beat me to Portland by a year <laughs> or so. So, yeah. what, was your, what prompted your decision? Was there any career-related decision with your move? Was there a financial decision? How did you decide to pick up
1: and move across the country? Yeah. So actually, a lot of things happened uh, all at once. But it was pretty well planned out, thankfully. And uh, things went according to plan. But uh, after a while of doing some freelancing on the side, and probably around the time I met you, Eric, I decided that I think I'm going to try to give this freelancing full-time thing a go. So um, about 8 months ahead of time, when I actually ended up quitting my job, I started saving up money, Uh, what I call my quit my job fund. (laughs) And uh, basically, so I could just have some money to transition from being an employee to being a full-time freelancer. So after saving up, uh, I saved up about $8,000 just strictly so I could make the leap between being an employee and being a full-time freelancer. I uh, quit my job in May 2012. And at the time, I was living in Connecticut and I was like, well, if I'm quitting my job and, you know, I can work from wherever I want as a freelancer, why don't I give somewhere else a try? So after some uh, some friends or a friend of mine who in particular who lived, grew up outside of Portland, Oregon uh, and doing some research and uh, admittedly watching the Portlandia TV show and loving it, <laughs> I said, hey, I'll give Portland a try. You know, I love bicycling. I love, you know, drinking beer, there's great vegetarian food, there's great outdoor stuff. It sounds like a great city for me. So why don't I uh, give Portland a try? And I've been living here ever since and it's been great. You know, something funny about
0: Portlandia, before I moved here, I thought it was funny and I enjoyed it, but I didn't totally get it. You know, There's some jokes were just lost to me. I was like, oh, that's kind of stupid. I put it up (laughs) to being kind of a corny show. Then I rewatched those same episodes after I moved here. And I have a totally new appreciation for it. I was was laughing quite a lot more watching them in Portland. And my favorite was that there was an episode where they had uh, got up to a stop sign at the same time. (laughs) I was like, you go ahead. And then I was like, no, you go ahead. And they did that for like three hours before they hit each other. (laughs) Like that. That feels like when it's like driving here sometime. Everyone's super courteous. Yeah,
1: it's that's easy. pretty much my favorite scene as well. It's <laughs> it's too true to even imagine. It's so funny that happens like every day to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: except when they run the stop sign out on my corner. But that's a whole nother story, I guess. <laughs> yeah, different Portlanders. Yeah. So, um, so back back to the uh, to the business side of things. So when sure. you were. So you you had a full-time job in yeah. Connecticut. Was that in line with
1: your educational background and engineering type work? Uh, actually, no, it wasn't. After I uh, finished grad school and got my master's in engineering, uh, I decided that I wanted to do something a little bit different. So I took a job working for AmeriCorps VISTA. So the way... If you're not familiar with it, the way I describe it is sort of like a Peace Corps, except it's in the United States and basically... Uh, I worked at a nonprofit for a year as a quote unquote volunteer uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. And during that time, I just got paid a stipend, which was um, probably, I think, about $1,200 a month. So not very much to live on, which was a challenge, but uh, it turned out to be a good one in terms of learning to live frugally. Uh, but so I was doing that. I did that for a year. And then that same nonprofit hired me on for the. About another year after that, until I quit that job and decided to do freelancing full time.
0: So that was the job you had while you were saving up your eight thousand dollar quit my job and
1: move fund. Yeah, yep, exactly. And uh, you know, I didn't being working at a nonprofit. I didn't get paid a whole lot, but I learned to live pretty lean after uh, that year of AmeriCorps Vista. So, uh, like, I mean, I think my when I took the job at the same place from when I got paid as AmeriCorps Vista, I think my you know salary like tripled overnight or maybe more than that even but <laughs> I wrote a few posts about it on money Spruce but uh yeah it was pretty interesting how much it changed and how it really uh, impacted my view on how much money you need to get by so well if you don't mind
0: sharing how much were you making in that nonprofit job and did you have enough freelance income when you left to totally replace it or were you partway there how did you
1: what was your feeling how did you know it was okay to leave and you'd make it so uh at that non-profit job my salary was uh $45,000 a year. So not a whole lot, but pretty decent I think. Yeah, for and, um, For a lot of cities that's a lot I know on the east coast that doesn't go quite as far as it does somewhere like I don't know Iowa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably not, but uh I I had pretty good living arrangement in New Haven so I you know paid pretty much of the barrel for housing. I think my rent was only $400 a month. Wow. I shared a pretty small place with a couple of roommates. Uh, you know, I definitely could have been paying more, but I chose deliberately chose not to pay more. Um, I didn't have a car at the time. I decided not to... Um, my, car broke, my car died a year before. I decided not to buy a new one. So, I kept expenses pretty lean and I uh, was pretty much able to put away half of every paycheck, at least half. So, I just take the half the paycheck. I actually... Um, paid off all my student loan debt right away before I started saving that um quit my job fund so that was really um really huge in terms of you know quitting my job and easing the transition to freelancing and uh yeah i i actually didn't when i started freelancing full time and i made the jump i um i didn't i didn't have enough money to i didn't have enough income coming in to replace um replace my full-time job. So that was kind of part of the plan. Like I didn't expect to either. Um I just didn't think that was gonna happen. But uh it turned out to be, and I think this is one of the biggest lessons I learned freelancing is that uh you know finding work isn't as easy as you think all the time. It's not just a matter of uh like suddenly deciding today that I want to find more work today and then putting in the time to find that work. It's kind of a long cumulative process of marketing yourself, uh, which turned out to be more difficult than I thought out of the gate.
0: Okay. So, when uh, there, there were a couple of great lessons that you said in there. One big one to people, you're saving 50% of your income while making a, a, a pretty modest salary in a not-so-cheap area of the country to live. So, if Jeffrey mm-hmm. can do it there, then you guys can do it too out there, <laughs> everyone. So, yeah. uh, th- that's a great lesson to learn. So when you started the when you started full-time freelancing, yeah, what was your typical monthly income there, and did that grow as
1: you, you know, built your portfolio up? So I was pretty low to start. I had really just one primary gig out of the gate. Um, I was working for uh, it was a personal finance-related uh, blogging site. I think it was something pretty obscure that I don't know if anyone really would have heard of, but uh, I think they paid me. Some, I think they paid me $350 a week to write three blog posts, which at the time I thought, wow, that's great. That's like, you know, 115 and change for blog <laughs> posts. This is great. Uh, I actually wasn't sure I wanted to take it right out of the gate, but I'm like, well, I can't turn this down. This is a great opportunity. So I had that, which was which was good to have some income. Uh, and I was, you know, pretty focused on um, doing that writing and, you know, I was enjoying my newfound freedom a little bit after my job. so. Uh, I wasn't exactly, you know, pounding the pavement to find more work. Rather, right the gate it was. I just moved out to Portland. It was summertime, and I'm like, well, it's summer, so it's great. So that was pretty much my only income for the first several months. Um, so as you can imagine, I was I was dipping into my quit my job fund uh, a decent amount. I can't, you know, say exactly what my budget monthly budget would have been at the time. I my uh, housing situation was still pretty cheap in Portland. I found a a sublet for six hundred dollars a month, including utilities. That's not too bad. And luckily, I found someone that could. It uh, was actually my friend Jenna to take me, take me in because I didn't know anything about Portland. So that worked out really well. But uh, yeah, it was a little bit tough out of the gate because I didn't have a whole lot of work. Uh, but at the same time, I'm really glad I had that money saved up strictly for the pur- purpose of making the transition.
0: So as your as your money fund was slowly dwindling down will you after your move. Um, was there a point that you financially were like, well, wow, I have to get more work?
1: Or did that become a, a kind of natural evolution as you were settling in? Um, there's definitely points where I had to get... I felt like I had to get more work. I think the real challenge I faced was that I didn't think... I didn't know how to get more work as, as well as I thought I knew how to do it.
0: So, so what- I what did you think you knew and then what what were your tough lessons learned and how did you
1: overcome that so i thought you know i've just i really thought it was just a matter of you know like a putting in the amount of time to find the work and b um getting my name out there by writing on more sites and i think for a just finding more work i thought all right well i will just scour job boards and things like that. That was actually how I found my primary gig at the time, the one I just described a few minutes ago. I found them on the ProBlogger job board. Um, so I'm like, well I'll just keep looking there. I'll look at other sites like that and uh, you know if I apply to enough places, email enough places, something's sure to work out. And uh, I spent a lot of time doing that and it wasn't that simple. Either, you know, other sites weren't willing to pay me as much or pay me what's worth my time. Or you know, I just didn't hear back from people. there's a lot of competition. I think it's a pretty competitive area i didn't I probably underestimated that a little bit. Um, so I think that was definitely a, a big challenge that I wasn't really prepared for
0: How, and, how did you ahead.
1: overcome that? What was your next step how did you How did you start finding those clients? Well, I really spent more time you know figuring out how to market myself better, and I think that's something there's just something to that, that I just didn't, I, I don't really have a marketing background and I don't really, I, I wouldn't call myself like the biggest like hustler out there, or however you want to describe it. Like I'm not the type of person that uh, is really, you know, uh, forward about marketing myself or talking about what I can do or talking about how like great I am at something. It doesn't really come naturally to my personality. So um, I, I joined a few, a few different like online communities where uh, I I was able to talk to people that were going through the same thing I was, and and learn from which resources they were using, and kind of figure out how I can come up with a better marketing plan to uh, really find the gigs that I want to find. And like part of that was doing more in-person marketing events, which uh, you know I've had mixed results with in the past, but. It turned out, um, you know, out of the blue, one worked out really well that I ended up going to. I ran randomly, ran, pretty much randomly, ran into somebody that, or met somebody that I didn't know before, and they were looking to hire a copywriter um, to do some writing for their website. And that turned into a pretty big gig. I think it was something like $6,500, which was the largest project I had ever done at the time. So that kind of like got the wheels turning in my head, and they're like, wow, like, you don't really know when these, you know, clients are gonna come about. You don't know when these moments are gonna strike, but if you keep trying to do different things and kind of diversifying your approach, it gets easier and easier. So that was really one of the main lessons I learned is that you just have to have a lot of irons in the fire and you have to, I guess, keep them in there for a while before they Get hot or I don't know how to complete the analogy there, but uh, it, it just takes a lot of different a lot of different approaches to, to marketing to um, really find the work is what I found
0: so that sixty five hundred dollar client was that a fixed term project was there any kind of recurring um, future with it how did that how did that work and how did the discussions work when you were getting started
1: yeah so that was a that was actually my first probably my first fixed term project too, or at least one anywhere close to that size. Uh, but basically, the conversation was that uh, it was a local community college here and they were pretty much looking to uh, redo all their web content. Um, so it was copy, primarily copywriting, uh, not so much like blog post writing or that kind of thing. But um, basically, what they asked for was you know what it would cost to do the copy for these, um, landing pages for their website, which is where prospective students would go and, and find out more about the class. And then hopefully, uh, you know, fill in their name and email or something like that to get more information about the class. So it's kind of a, a lead generation page for the, for the community college. Um, so the idea was that I would write the copy for these pages. And I think I'd, did it for about 13 different programs, which had um, different different goals, business goals for each one. Um, they're all like small business-related ca- classes. So, uh, that was pretty interesting. So, so then uh, wh- how, what were your next client
0: stories after that? Did you get more fixed-term projects? Did you find more recurring projects?
1: How did you build up your income to support your life? So, uh, thankfully, most of the clients I've worked with have been... Um, Recurring monthly clients. And that was the case for up until I uh, just recently started my um, job that I'm working at now. But uh, that's really been the key. And I really like finding recurring clients a lot better because, I mean, you don't have to keep marketing yourself. You don't have to worry as much about where your income is going to come from every month. And uh, on those fixed term projects, you know, they're going to end eventually and then you have to replace that income somehow so you have to really have uh you know some some real leads in the pipeline pretty much all the time or you're not gonna be making any money so i uh most of the clients i had were monthly clients and um for those kinds of clients blogging does lend itself very well to uh, recurring monthly work because they want new content all the time to uh either you know entertain or to keep uh their customers happy and interested in their business or to attract new new customers through search engines or social media or those types of things so primarily most of my clients have been uh, monthly clients where they pay me you know x number of dollars per blog post and I provide x number of blog posts a month and that could range pretty widely I mean I think somewhere as little as like one blog post a week or you know four blog posts a month, anywhere up to say ten blog posts a month. It really depended on the client.
0: How many at your peak, how many blog posts per week do you
1: think you were writing? I never got too high. I uh I I'm not a super fast writer. I'm not someone that just cranks stuff out really fast. And uh, I prefer to go for quality and, you know, spend time researching and and, uh, doing a good job. Not to say that people who write fast don't do that. But um, so I I think at the peak, I probably got to not too many, probably eight blog posts a week. It was pretty manageable. So about two a day ish. Yeah, I'd say two a day max. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty good. It was a pretty good pace for me. I could, you know, kind of schedule out my day and I could. Could probably still turn around most blog posts in three hours, four hours max.
0: So and they in those times when you were at your kind of peak client levels, yeah. what kind of income were you making and how much were you making compared to that
1: nonprofit job that you'd left? So at the peak levels, uh, I was getting paid anywhere from um dollars to $350 per se. I mean, most clients didn't really have a strict word limit, but say about 800 word blog post. So on the upper end, you know, those are pretty good rates. Some of the lower end clients um, I kept around just because it was pretty easy to, to churn out those blog posts. They're a little bit easy to write. They took less time. Um, so overall income, I was making close to $60,000 a year, roughly or about, roughly $5,000 a month um, in revenue. That's pre expenses.
0: So how many client do you know at any point? What your peak number of clients was that you were working with at a time, and how did you manage all those relationships and keep everything straight?
1: Yeah, so I I think my max was four clients at a time, and uh, that could get a little bit hectic. But honestly, I think I was more blessed compared to at least compared to other people, more lucky uh, in terms of the clients I had. They're pretty easygoing. Um. I'm not really someone that likes to be in a lot of meetings or things like that. And, uh, only one of my clients was actually local, but most of my clients never really required to have like weekly meetings or even monthly meetings. So that kept things pretty easy. All the communication was pretty much by email and uh, we could just go kind of back and forth on, you know, blog post topic ideas or revisions or things like that. And then schedule calls as needed. So I think keeping meetings to a minimum made things a lot easier. And I think just you know checking in a lot though too was pretty helpful by email. Um, I tried not to just you know communicate with them just when I needed something because then that kind of makes it a little more difficult, and I don't think that that's a great relationship that way. But um, I think other than that, my key was really to uh, I map out all my week's work ahead of time. So either Sunday night or first thing Monday morning, I'll have a list of basically everything I need to do that week. Um, I know roughly how long it's going to take me to write a blog post. So I, I kind of work in, I work in like 50 minute blocks. So I know maybe it'll take three 50 minute blocks to get a, a blog post finished. I'll make sure I have enough time to schedule that throughout the week, um, for each blog post for each client that I write for. So just in terms of time management, just being, being sure that I can keep on track of my weekly goals and monthly goals so I can meet the uh, needs of every client.
0: Do you have any favorite tools that you use to help map out your days in your calendar? Are you outside of your email do you use anything like Asana or Trello or one of those task managers
1: uh I'm actually just a big evernote user and uh in terms of mapping out my uh daily and weekly goals, I just have a uh note in Evernote that I just update every week um I, it's probably silly, but I really like the fact that they have a checkbox feature. <laughs> I really like checking things off. So, um, I use the checkboxes in Evernote. But uh, it's pretty manual in that sense. Um, I don't really schedule out my time in, in the sense that I'm like, okay, from 9 to 10 a.m. I'm going to be working on this project. From 10 to 11, I'm working on this project. Uh, I found in the past that, that creates a little bit more frustration for me than it does uh, help me. So, I kind of try to avoid doing that. Instead, try to just lay out what I need to do to do for the day uh, the best I can in terms of how much time it takes. And um, from there, I just, you know, do my best to complete my my six daily goals. I have about six a day.
0: As you developed all of this and started working with more clients, did you still give much attention to money, Spruce? Did And how did you... Did that help you find more clients? Or did you find more clients other ways? Were there referrals... What was your? How did you grow your business?
1: Yeah, so that's really interesting. Uh, at one point, I don't know, it was probably a year ago or so, or maybe a little bit longer. I was, uh, I had decided, like, you know, hey, I think I'm, I think I've, you know, hit the max or hit the ceiling on what I can do in terms of personal finance. Or uh, I think I was getting a little bit frustrated with some of the clients had the time, or at least it just wasn't working out that well. So I thought I was gonna actually get out of personal finance altogether. Um but then an interesting thing happened, and that's that clients or uh prospects even kept or leads kept coming to me uh, through various means so uh with even with the intention of intention of shutting off the uh personal finance writing a bit, I had a bunch of new clients come in and you know uh, I think one of the things that I do at least when I'm not super interested in working for them, I'm like well I'll just I'll just throw out a really high number that I don't think they'll accept. And uh, but more often than you think, they just say, okay. (laughs) So then you're like, well, I guess I will do this project. So um, I did get some leads. I don't know if any came directly through the Money Spruce site, uh, but I actually did have a weird lead come through someone that just Googled my name. I was like a testimonial on a site, just Googled my name and it said like Jeffrey Troll Money Spruce then tracked me down and then found me that way. So that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had another client find me on LinkedIn because I had written for a competitor of theirs who I had, I had since stopped writing for. And um, you know, there wasn't really any conflict of interest or anything. So they just found me purely because I had listed writing for this other company on LinkedIn. So um, and then I am actually part of a local writers group here in Portland called the copywriters conclave of Portland. And, uh, that's actually been a really nice source of leads too, because we all, all the writers is about 12 of us have a, uh, bio on the copywriters conclave website where, uh you know, people can go through there and we actually, our site for our, our group ranks number one in Google for Portland copywriters. So I've actually had some clients come through there and find me or, and some other leads that I didn't end up working with, but, um, that's been a pretty good referral source too. That's cool. So
0: when do you have a website of your own just about your freelance business? Or did you Yeah. Okay. Can you can you share what that is so people who are listening can go look you up and
1: see see what you do? Sure. Yeah, so my uh my writer business website, which I think I've had for probably like three years or so now, is Jeffrey B. Troll, B as in Bob from my middle initial. Uh, I couldn't get the couldn't get it without that. But com is my writer website. And, uh, it's pretty basic, but I think it's been a a huge key to getting clients. Um, it's really important to have a place where you can showcase your work. Uh, so I have my portfolio page on there that shows some of the best work I've done. It doesn't even show all the work I've done now because it's just really too much to put up there. So I, uh, built up my portfolio page with kind of the work that I've enjoyed doing the most, the work and the work that I want to find. And, um, Perspective you know clients have been able to look at that and see my abilities and, and that kind of thing did social media help you find any clients
0: at all or did you have to use that for any client purposes or is that just been I know, I know you do a little tweeting and whatnot is that is that mostly for fun
1: Yeah, I mostly tweet for fun uh, I don't think I've ever really gotten any clients like through Twitter or anything um, I did get that one client that I mentioned through LinkedIn so I think that's probably one of my only real uh social media successes that i can point to but i'm not really not really big on social media in general i i don't know at least for me i approach it mostly from a kind of fun way to share things standpoint and i i feel like a lot of people kind of approach it the same way so i'm not sure it's always the best environment for conducting business it really depends on what platform you're on but um for me i haven't really found it to be a, a really effective strategy for finding clients.
0: So, as you shifted forward, and you, you, I know you had one client that became a really big client, which led to a yep. full-time job. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to give up on your the freedom of freelancing and take a full-time job? And was the compensation enough to make up for what you were giving up? And do you still keep anything on the side of the main job, any of your old clients, or are you
1: just mm-hmm. full-time on the new job? Yeah. So... uh I've been full-time freelancing or I had been for almost 3 years it would have been it would have been 3 years this coming May and I'd never really pictured myself going back to a job there were very few times where during this period and there there are lots of ups and downs trust me as you might have uh, gathered from my uh earlier part of this conversation but uh I never really envisioned going back to a job but I'd always thought in my head like well if the right opportunity came along I would definitely consider it um, so sure enough, one of my clients, uh student loan hero, who I now work for, Andy, who's the CEO approached me a few months back and, uh, he said, you know, will you We're growing really fast. Would you be interested if, in coming on full time? And I'm like, well, I'll have to think about it. And we talked about it a bit more and, you know, I, I waited for him to send me an offer letter. And so I, I got the offer. I'm like, well, this is, you know, certainly, uh, you know pretty close to what I'm making as a freelancer to consider going on full time and like, what I don't really like getting a job. What's that going to be like? But uh, a few things sealed the deal for me on taking the job. Number one is that I I still get to work remotely, which I love about freelancing and about this job now. I mean, I have my own, I have my own office. Uh, It's about two miles from my house in Portland. And uh, I share it with another another uh, small agency, so I have some people to be around. But basically, every day I get on my bike, bike two miles to my office. I work there from nine to five. You know, I you know, take breaks, go to food carts, talk to people when I want, and then you know, when it's time to work, I have a place to concentrate that isn't my home. And uh, yeah, I really like working remotely. And uh, a huge part of that is I can still travel too. I go home. I'm from the East coast originally. I don't know if we mentioned that, but uh, all my family's on the East coast. So I go back several times a year to visit them and uh, it's nice to have the option to work from there for a few days if I need to. So uh, the remote working part was definitely a huge part of deciding to take this job. Um, And secondly, uh, I get plenty of time off, which is another big part. Uh, Right now I get about, I have about four weeks paid vacation a year. So that's really huge for me. I, you know, I like I said, I still love to travel and just having some of those freedoms that I had as a freelancer. I mean, I think in 2013 I traveled for about three months out of the year. Um, So giving that up would be really hard for you know ten days of paid vacation a year or something like that. So, but having more like a month off is a lot more easier to manage. And then third, yeah, the compensation was was pretty good. It's it was comparable to what I was making as a freelancer. with the added benefit that it's guaranteed more or less every month, as long as I have the job at least versus, uh, you know, when clients leave or you don't run out of work, you just don't get any more money when you're a freelancer until you find someone to replace them. So I think it was, it is nice to have the security after a while and, uh, you know, just really focus on, um, working rather than spending. Hey, you guys just heard my doorbell and my dogs barking at my
0: doorbell. I have no idea who's here my wife's checking it. So, so we'll find out what the, uh, maybe I got a package or something. That'd be fun. <laughs> so anyway, um, you, you mentioned you, you know, work in an office space and a lot of full-time freelancers like to work at home. Some do some coffee shops or bookstores or whatnot. What did you try working at home before? And what led you to work in an office space?
1: Yeah, so This is a really funny story that I like to joke about all the time. I mean, it's kind of not really a specific story, but, uh, you know, I was totally, when I was waiting to quit my job, I was like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Like I can just work from home. I can be in my pajamas. Mm -hmm. I can like work whenever I want. Like if I don't want to work in the afternoon, I can just work at night or I can just, you know, have this really weird schedule, just work around all my social engagements. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Um, So I thought that was going to be so cool going into being a freelancer, et cetera, all these stories. And then once I started freelancing, I found out that I might not like those things as much as I thought. Um, the first few months I was like trying to work from home and I'd get really distracted. I'd like, you know, I'm like a refrigerator peruser person. So whenever I get bored, I'm like, let me go see what's going on in the refrigerator. You know, so I'd make plenty of trips downstairs. Does it change very often between trips? (laughs) I think in my mind it always did before I got there. You know, you always think you're gonna find something new, but <laughs> but uh the beer yeah. delivery guy came while I was working. I know, right? Yeah, there wasn't even anybody home when I was there despite my roommate. So um yeah, so like I'd, you know, just distract myself being at home. Um I'd get like really lonely and be like, ah, oh, no one's around. It's so quiet, there's no one to talk to. This kind of stinks. I mean, I don't really yeah, working my pajamas was okay, but then you just start to smell bad after a while. So, what was your longest time without changing out of pajamas? Did you ever do like three or four days in a row? Oh, I don't think I ever did that. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm a pretty social person. So, I like, I go out at night a lot and I obviously didn't go out in my pajamas, but, uh, you know, maybe a couple days or something like that. But uh, yeah, even I mean, then I tried, you know, working at coffee shops and I think I've, I literally only tried working at a coffee shop like three times in Portland. And Portland's like the land of coffee shops, but I just really don't like it. It's just like too noisy for me. Um, and the coffee shops along with the library, I'm like, well, when I have to go to the bathroom, I got to like pick up my laptop and bring it with me or, or someone like stealing it. And then the hours are kind of weird sometimes and like I'm at a coffee shop, like I got to buy stuff. And, you know, I just didn't, didn't really feel like comfortable at any of those places. So after struggling doing that for like six months, I'm like, I got to find somewhere else to go. So initially I had joined a coworking space, uh, which if you're not familiar with it's kind of just a, a space where a bunch of different um, solopreneurs, freelancers or remote workers go to work and, um, Sort of like an informal office, but everyone just kind of pays a monthly, a monthly fee to work there, and um, you know there might be something like you know twenty people there any given day, and people rotate in and out or whatever. And uh, so I'd just go there. That was a little further away, but I'd bike over there, and I you know I, I decided I liked working regular hours, um, working nine to five actually suits me a lot better because it's in sync with everybody else's social schedule. Like I said, I like to, you know, go out for happy hours and things versus, you know, when I didn't try to keep a nine to five and I was just like, yeah, I'll work whenever I'd be up 11 PM, like frantically finishing a blog post that's due at 8 AM the next morning or something. So uh, just having the schedule and having the place to go and having the social aspect of it, of, you know, enjoying lunch, talking to other people, or, you know, just having a little chit chat during the day or something like that was Uh, Improved my, you know, quality of life a lot more and just made freelancing in general a lot more enjoyable and a lot even more productive, to be honest. Right. So along the way, did you have any
0: big personal finance lessons you learned or anything you still struggle with?
1: I think one of the biggest struggles is uh, as a freelancer is, is figuring out how to plan for irregular income. And I'll be honest, that's not one that I really figured out all that well. Um, it could be challenging just to figure out how to pay yourself. And uh, I initially started out as a sole proprietor. So all my clients paid me, Jeffrey Troll, And so I just deposited into my regular bank account. Um, but a little over a year ago, I switched over to an LLC. So I'd pay my LLC and that money would go into a business bank account. And then I would uh, pay myself from that. So that helped things a little bit, but it's still a little bit hard to kind of um, predict your income and kind of budget accordingly when you're not always sure how you're going to get paid. I think ideally, you know, having an emergency fund or having some sort of backup fund is is hugely important. Um, I would definitely recommend, you know, always having cash reserves for probably at least three months um, living expenses as a freelancer. Um, but again, that can be easier said than done. If you're, you know, just getting started or you don't have a whole lot of money in the bank, but um, trust me, it'll save you a lot of stress later if you can have that reserve ready. And I think just the other challenge too is uh, dealing with taxes is, is can be a huge pain. <laughs> just figuring out how, uh, you know, as a freelancer, yeah, you're a business, so you're allowed to take business expenses and stuff. But don't forget, you also can owe more money too. You. You owe both sides of uh, social security or whatever you whatever you call it. So you have to pay, I believe, about thirteen percent instead of six point five or something. I don't know if that's that's right. Sounds about right, Eric. But I think that's right. It's okay. it's close. If it's not right on, it's it's in the ballpark. <laughs> so you owe a little bit more in terms of those taxes. Um, I mean, if you want health insurance, you have to pay for it yourself. No, you don't have an employer that's going to pay for it for you. Um, you know, my office costs money. I have to you know pay. Two or three hundred dollars for that every month. If I want to go on business trips, those are expenses. So, um you know, write-offs are great and everything like that. That's a huge plus. But uh it's also just makes it a little bit harder to see the big picture, especially if you're getting started and you're, you know, you're close to the threshold of making or below the threshold of making, you know, the amount of money you need to cover the bills every month.
0: Right. Well, this is this is a great story. Thank you so much for sharing with me and with everyone else. You know. I know a lot of your story just because we like to hang out. You know, if he, Jeffrey is a really cool guy, he came to my bachelor party and my wedding, and I know he knows how to party hard because we've done it together. <laughs> but he also is obviously very professional and, and does well with his own business dealings. And, you know, as you know, we, we say a lot on this website, on the blog posts and, and in the podcast, you can pick up some stories. There's lots of great ways you can earn money on the side. As you see, Jeffrey turned that into a full time job. You know, you can do so much and there's. A lot of you know great benefits of that—the freedom of being able to travel to go wherever you want. You know, three months a year traveling is a pretty amazing thing. I know Jeffrey's gone to Thailand for an extended trip; he's done some great things. So, for now that you have a full time job again, but with that location independence, do you have any big plans? Any you know what's what's next for Jeffrey
1: Troll? I don't have any big travel plans right now. I'm actually I'm uh, flying out to the East Coast though on Friday for my cousin's 30th birthday. So that'll be fun. And, uh, I've got some pretty fun conferences lined up. I actually just signed up for the, uh, copy blogger authority conference in Denver in May, but I think I'm going to, thanks to my remote working, I'm going to bump that trip out on, uh, the end a little bit and kind of extend my stay and work from the Denver Boulder area for a little while. And, uh, other than that, just looking forward to Enjoying the summer here in Portland again, I pretty much lock myself down because the weather is so nice. That's one of the best kept secrets out here. Well, don't tell too many people
0: our secret. Everyone's <laughs> moving here anyway. The secret. I know. I was one of them. You were one of them. We we both moved yeah. here. we were both transplants. Right. Right. Well, anyway, so thank you so much for your time and sharing your great story with us. I'm, I'm picking up my my Hop Smack IPA to give you a virtual cheers <laughs> to Jeffrey and everyone else listening so uh so thank you so much for listening and being a part of it listeners out there I know i've mentioned it before but if you could get a chance to uh give us a rating on itunes it would be very appreciated or any other place you listen stitcher whatnot it uh you know it just takes you a few seconds but it means the world to me and helps get the word out about the show and the website and until we speak again next time stay profitable have a great day
1: Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.